Welcome to the September 23rd, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on a recent poll of Colorado voters showing 56% in favor of the minimum wage hike ballot issue and 70% in favor of the medical aid and dying initiative. Pat Cahoon from Westward, uh, were you surprised to see such big numbers for the medical aid and dying initiative? No, not at all, because I think people really care about that issue. The Colorado Medical Board, uh, Medical Societies come out and said, it's okay with us. And it's interesting, people can pick and choose. They want this, they don't want Colorado Cares. The um, minimum wage is a little tighter, because that could start shrinking if there's a campaign against it. Amy Oliver Cook, Executive Vice President of the Independence Institute, thank you for joining us. Uh, the Institute has both proposed and opposed many ballot issues in the past. If you saw these numbers, I guess specifically the 56%, 70 percent, I think everyone can say, oh, that's, that's pretty good. 56 percent, right. are, are you sleeping well at night on that number? You know what, if you're at 56 percent at this point, you've got a pretty good shot of winning. I would say that both of these are probably on their way to being passed in November. Doesn't mean that there, can't, there won't be something that might come up that, that weakens those numbers a little bit. The interesting thing is, would the minimum wage pass if Amendment 71 were in effect? That is a very good point. That would, uh, as uh, folks probably know out there, if they've been watching Colorado Decides, it, it would raise the bar. That's their whole line about making it tougher about passing an amendment to the Constitution. Eric Sonneran, political analyst. Um, the ads now are beginning to uh, get more play. It's the end of September. There's uh, less than a month before ballot issues get mailed out. There's more oxygen in the room this year because the presidential campaign isn't doing a lot of advertising in Colorado. The Senate campaign doesn't exist. So do you think the ads will affect the ballot issues more often? I think there's certainly that potential. I don't know how much advertising there's going to be on either side of the medical aid and dying initiative. You and I did a debate, which mm -hmm. I guess airs at 9 o'clock tonight, Absolutely. so a uh, half hour after we wrap up tonight on, on that issue. Uh, and I really recommend it to viewers. I thought it was a fascinating debate. The numbers do not surprise me on the medical aid and dying issue. Uh, on, on the minimum wage, it seems like, and you know, all of these polls have margins of error, but it seems like their lead is holding up here. Both sides, I believe, are now on the air. Uh, the, 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 big, the big advertising campaign is obviously against Amendment 69, and that thing, uh, you know, if, if we can make a couple of predictions, that one is going down and probably going down resoundingly as medical aid and dying is passing and probably passing resoundingly. Uh, those would be my predictions. I'm going to be curious whether the opponents to minimum wage can whittle those numbers away or whether those numbers are now starting to get baked in. Penn Tate, attorney QTech Rock, also a former state lawmaker. Uh, wrap it up for us. You know, I agree with, with what's been said around the table. I think the um, uh, medical uh, aid uh, in dying is going to pass. I think it appeals to sort of the libertarian strain in Colorado. This is a personal decision. Government shouldn't be involved. Stay out of the way, particularly when Colorado Medical uh, Society uh, favors it or says they don't have a problem with it. I, I think that's there. The minimum wage piece uh, I still find curious because my primary objection to it is it shouldn't be in the Constitution. Although I do believe even if raise the bar were in place, 
I, I'd be willing to bet that it would still have made the ballot, even if you had collected the signatures around the state, because I think other parts of the state outside of the metro area have been slower to recover from the recession. So I, I'll bet there would be some support for it. Um, I don't know if the, the campaign in opposition to the minimum wage is going to be able to pick up enough steam fast enough to head it off. I think they may have let, as Eric said, the numbers bake in too much. Let's get to it. Democratic Senator Michael Bennett declined an invitation to debate his Republican opponent, Daryl Glenn, in an October debate hosted by CBS4, Colorado Public Television, and KOA News Radio. Earlier in the month, Daryl Glenn declined an invite from the Denver Post. So the two U.S. Senate candidates in a statewide election will likely only debate twice this season, with only one of those debates being held in Denver. Uh, Patty, this is uh, obviously very close to home for me. It's our series. It's our partnership we have with CBS4 and, and uh, KOA. Um, and I'm a debate producer, so I'm really biased. What's your take? Well, I'm not a debate producer, and I've never said no to Channel 12, I don't think. So <laughs> I'm not biased in this at all. I think it's a shame that Bennett isn't doing it. And I'm, I think it's a shame also that Glenn is not going to do the Denver Post one. We don't get that much chance to hear politicians speak. Even though Bennett has been... Ascent, the, is the incumbent. We don't get to hear him speak at length about different issues. So even if he doesn't want to debate, Daryl Glenn, if you've got a good debate moderator, you're going to hear questions that he would be able to answer and he would be able to tell people in Colorado where he sees the state going, what he, he's done over the past years. You know, we did an interview with Daryl Glenn this week, which was really interesting, and he was saying, among other things, one of the reasons he doesn't want to debate is because everyone's always asking about Trump. And he said, you know, he supports Trump because Trump is the head of the ticket, but he doesn't want to talk anymore about Trump in the debate. Well, let's face it, who doesn't want to talk about Trump? We certainly do at this table. And I cannot wait for that debate Monday night, which should be a very telling event. And we'll be talking about it here next Friday. Yes, we will. Uh, Amy, when I look at this, I understand the strategy from the Bennett campaign. I disagree with it. I hate it, but I understand it. However, when it comes down to it for me, if the Republicans had a more competitive nominee, one that, say, was, I don't know, running ads, um, I think there would be a debate. Do you think I'm wrong? No, I don't. And it's likely that um, there probably would be a debate. But, you know, and to play devil's advocate on that just a little bit, um, no, that's not a plug for our, I was gonna say, for a Caldera plug. show. Um, you know what? It's funny. It's a little bit Trump-esque. Because remember Donald Trump saying the media is biased. I mean, that was part of what Daryl Glenn said is he cited that the Denver Post was, was, ran a series of articles against him. And he was, you know, he thought they were, they were um, unflattering or, or biased. And so it's a little bit Trump-like because Donald Trump with the whole theme of the media is biased against me. So therefore, I'm not going to give you anything. I think it's wrong. But you know what? Uh, as we have discussed, democracy in action, action again, you can decide not to speak if you want as well. Uh, Eric, uh, you and I are both biased in this. We moderate debates together at Color Decide Series every Friday at 9 o'clock. Um, this seems like to be a disturbing trend. Mark Udall decided not to debate. Now, I'm not going to say that's the reason he lost two years ago, but that was also a decision he made. What do you think is behind this kind of a trend? I have to plead not guilty. I have no bias whatsoever, as my friend Penfield can attest from the debate we just moderated with him. Um, Michael Bennett is not debating because he doesn't have to debate. I mean, it's, it's a point that Patty and, and you, Dominic, and Amy already discussed. When there is no Senate race, and, you know, I proposed a few weeks ago we retire this issue because there just isn't a race here, 
Bennett has the luxury of doing what he wants. Yes, I wish he would debate. I think the risk factor for him debating is very negligible. But I understand the calculation. I can, for the life of me, do not understand the calculation uh, on the part of Daryl Glenn vis-a-vis -vis the Denver Post. I mean, if I'm Daryl Glenn, I have no money for television. I have no money for much of anything. I would want to debate 24-7 every day. I'd be following Michael Bennett around to every little rural town hall saying, let's have a debate here. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would be grasping at anything I could grasp at to get an encounter with Michael Bennett and to, and to get some press and some airtime. So I know Daryl Glenn is in a spat with the Denver Post. I think the spat is not serving him well. But again, this is not a competitive race. From where the Republican Party was a few years ago or a year ago, targeting this as one of two pickup opportunities around the country to where they are now vis-a-vis -vis this Senate race is a pretty precipitous fall. And you know, obviously, as Patty said, we're not really thinking most viewers out there tonight are not thinking about the Bennett-Glenn debate or non-debates. They're thinking about what is coming up Monday night, which will be fascinating. As I said before we aired, it's like a train wreck. You can't turn away. <laughs> you certainly can't. Uh, Penn, at the end of the day, if voters want to see candidates debate, do voters need to hold candidates' feet to the fire? Absolutely, and I say shame on both of them. Um, Daryl Glenn, uh, I'm going to put the blame on you. This is your fault. If you have a beef with the Denver Post, show up for their debate and participate and tell people on camera, I have a beef with the Denver Post. You're the challenger. Frankly, no one knows that you're in a race. You need all the exposure you can get. And I don't know why you would give Michael Bennett an excuse to opt out of the Channel 4 debate now. But now you've lost two opportunities to be on TV. It's free media to state your case and articulate for people why you want to be the next U.S. Senator for Colorado. And, Michael, you ought to be participating in the debate and, and looking forward to the opportunity to speak to your constituents as frequently as possible. Voters deserve to hear from people who want to represent them. And, Daryl, you can't lead if if you get mad with the press and decide you're not going to show up. You can't serve in the U.S. Senate and not show up because you're mad at somebody. Well said. As the latest incidents of police-involved deaths of black men continue, local athlete-led protests are increasing. Football players at Aurora Central High School have announced that they will not stand for the national anthem during their first three games. The high school staff, as well as Aurora Public Schools, support the student's decision. Uh, Amy, uh, your husband is a former uh, sheriff of Weld County. You're very familiar with the, the issues that uh, our officers face every day. But as a nation, we're seeing, I mean, I'm talking with my producer this week, and we were ourselves getting confused over which incident this week we were talking about. Well, was that the one in Tulsa or the one in, in Charlotte? That's over the same week. So clearly there's something out there to talk about. As you look at all these different issues, what are your thoughts? So... I love this topic in the sense of I love having the dialogue about it. The, um, those players at Aurora, because we have a First Amendment, have a right to, do, to, to protest in this manner. Um, I think they were, uh, the administration said they respected the decision. I'm not certain I would say I respect it. I would accept it that that is their right, the First Amendment is messy, sometimes it's offensive, and I don't think it is a respectful way to show your um, displeasure with what we're, or try to raise awareness. I think it's more of a gesture. I would really like to see whether it's Colin Kaepernick 
or somebody else actually address real issues that are happening. We need to look at poverty. We need to look at what's happening in, in inner cities. And I, I see these as more gestures rather than actual rolling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty, and doing the hard work of solving those problems. But God bless the First Amendment because we have a right to do it. Eric, I guess when I see high school students, I mean, it, it's, it's easy to follow a trend, but I also, it, this feels more like a movement. It's less about Colin Kaepernick or Brandon Marshall, but you're seeing more and more people bring this up and looking at the issue. And I, I respect where, where Amy's coming from, but we're seeing people like Brandon Marshall meet with police chiefs. Do you think this has the potential of creating more of a movement and less of, I guess as Amy put it, gestures or at the very least protests? Well, there clearly is a movement out there, and I think the kneeling or lack of standing during national anthems has become part of capturing that movement or a symbol of that movement, but there was a movement before that. My question on this particular issue is how do you take the protest and translate that so you don't see more incidents like Tulsa where, I mean, we'll wait for all the evidence to be in, but I don't know what evidence there could be produced that could justify that shooting. I mean, the the visuals of that, uh, the, the, the footage of that is just horrific and there's just no comprehensible way that that was a justifiable imposition on the spot of a death sentence. Charlotte, I know there's a dispute about whether they're releasing the video or not and we'll have to wait and see what that video shows, but this, you know, yes, these are isolated incidents and there's one in Tulsa and there's one in Charlotte and there's one in Staten Island and there's one in rural Texas. But, but there are so many isolated incidents that you now have a pattern. Um, I'm not one to think that you have to identify. I think we so much in this country these days run to corners. And I'm in the blue corner with the cops. Or I'm in the Black Lives Matter corner. Or I'm in the corner that says let's really focus on the violence in inner cities in Chicago and in Denver. We had a shooting right out here in front of our studio a couple weeks ago. Uh, and. It's not either or to me, it is all of the above. But with respect to this particular issue, I don't know how you translate these protests into action so you don't keep having these. It has to be a matter of policy, it has to be a matter of police culture, it has to be a matter of training, it has to be a matter of a new kind of public ethic. Penn, what's the vital next step after kneeling during an anthem? Um, the vital next step, I think this is a movement, it's a parallel to the civil rights movement. You get enough action like nonviolent protest and sitting at lunch counters and it begins to move the dial where people talk about what sort of policy changes, what sort of changes in law do we need to bring into effect to change the occurrences. I agree with Eric, twice is a pattern and there are too many unarmed black men being gunned down. Uh, kudos to the Tulsa DA for filing manslaughter charges against the police officer there and right before we came I saw that in Charlotte it turns out the wife of the, the man who was shot uh, taped everything on her phone and she's released that and it shows her saying don't shoot he doesn't have a gun and they shot him anyway. So the evidence isn't in yet. We'll see what happens. The other thing I'd say is let's keep this all in perspective because um, I was talking with a group of guys um, uh, a, a week ago and one of the things we talked about is Jackie Robinson um, who broke the color barrier in baseball. When he did his autobiography in 1972, one of the things he said was, I can't salute the flag or stand for or sing the national anthem because of what I went through integrating baseball. That was his way of protesting what had happened to him. Hmm. 
Patty, uh, it's, it's disturbing all the way around, but do you see a path to the next step? Well, I see here we're doing some good things. I think the fact that the students are doing this in Aurora is good, but I think this, that the school is supporting their First Amendment rights is good. The Aurora Police Chief is also doing a lot of community discussion. That should expand in the high school. They should be having more discussions of their rights, of how things work. The police are much more transparent there. In Denver, you hope to see the same thing. It would be nice to see the athletes who are kneeling and, of course, getting the lion's share of the attention to start working within the community, to start using their celebrity and their money to help get those discussions going. We saw a little bit of it with Brandon Marshall and Chief White here in Denver two weeks ago. There should be more of it. The VA's Office for Inspector General released a report this week identifying key issues pointing to the delay of and overspending on Aurora's VA hospital. The report revealed the project's construction chief, Glenn Hagstrom, withheld pertinent information related to the cost of finishing the project during congressional hearings in 2013 and 2014. Uh, Eric, this issue only gets more offensive. We've been looking at this, I think, for over a year and a half now. What are the marching orders that need to be issued to Congress right now? Marching orders are complete this project, hold down the budget, but mainly I think this ought to be maybe not part of the VA, but perhaps a national monument so that we can, people across the country can come visit this and see it in perpetuity as a monument to a project that is completely spun out of control. Uh, yes, we need a hospital here. One day we'll have a hospital, but it boggles the mind both the time delay of this and the cost. We are now with the addition of another 300 million. And everyone says, oh, it's gonna cost another 300 million to equip it and to do this and that. And we all just sort of nod and say, oh, 300 million. Because when a project's already blown up from 600 million to now with this new number, it will be over $2 billion for a hospital. It is mind boggling. Um, it is mind boggling. Mm -hmm. The bigger issue, and I know Donald Trump has had some things to say about this, we'll see if it comes up in the debate Monday or one of the future debates, is does the VA system need to exist as it does now in perpetuity? I know a lot of veterans like that system because it's a standalone system and it's a way of paying them honor. And my question is, are we honoring them with this kind of, with, and it's not just the cost overruns, it's the delays in the system, it's people dying, waiting for medical care, and does that honor them? Or if you somehow more privatized the system and didn't make it a captive system and gave them better care in a more timely way, is that really a way of honoring them? Mm -hmm. Now, Penn, you took, uh, uh, you got into some things that we really frowned upon at this table. You actually did some research on this. You actually read a report, <laughs> which we, that's going to really uh, uh, hurt the analysis of this table. But with that work you've done, with the look that you've done at the report, what are your thoughts? I'll keep it real simple. This is a crime. The victims are the veterans who should have been receiving treatment in a new hospital years ago. Uh, they need to do whatever they need to do and complete it as as inexpensively as possible so that services can be provided, then they need to start indicting people and charging people with crimes. This is inexcusable. Too many people knew what was going on and either concealed the truth or um, lied about it, and people need to be held accountable within the VA, and then maybe they should just be delivering services and not build any more buildings. Patty, to Penn's point, do you think there's enough bipartisan anger, movement, what have you, to actually see some indictments come out of this. Well, I would hope so, but there are other victims here too, the taxpayers, and what worries me is that this is just 
the most egregious example of horrible government bungling and bureaucracy. But you could, this is a billion here, a billion there, but there are probably projects that are going, cost overruns no one's paying attention to all over this country that the government's in charge of. There's got to be accountability. Amy, this is a huge issue in the most competitive race in Colorado, Congressional District 6. Is this an advantage or disadvantage for either candidate? Well, you know what? It, no, it's bad for everyone. There, this doesn't serve anyone well, and I feel like I'm living Groundhog Day. Uh, somebody's lied to Congress again, and there are cost overruns yet again. I don't think it serves anyone well, but I would say this. Pete Blake, in 2014, December 2014, wrote A Tale of Two Hospitals, a great column, talking about how St. Joseph's Hospital came in under budget, and they even expanded the square footage, under budget and um, um, under in time. Now you compare that to the VA. Just saying, you might want to look at doing some privatization in the VA. Mm -hmm. Let's get a quick take on this final one. In a 9-4 vote on Monday, the Denver City Council approved a $150 million affordable housing funding plan. Spread out over 10 years, the plan is expected to fund hundreds of new income-restricted apartments, emergency financial assistance to help people keep their homes, and to preserve or build up to 6,000 housing units. Uh, Penn, your quick take on this. It is finally passed. It's finally passed. It is uh, an issue that needs to be addressed. Implementation is going to be the key and working with developers uh, who feel that the, the, the charges associated with it are too, too, too large. Patty, uh, some folks have said this isn't going to be enough money to solve the problem, but $150 million is real money. It is real money, and if it's used wisely, it will make a dent in a very, very big problem. But w the accountability is key here, too, because we had a plan before that, you know, affordable housing was going to be built into all the big developments downtown, and developers just bought their way out of it. So it's something to keep an eye on, but again, it is just part of the big problem. Amy, I have a feeling that somebody from the Independence Institute would have a better solution. Your thoughts? Uh, how about another solution? I think it was Representative Cole Wist who said that... Um, Right problem, wrong solution. What we really seriously need to address is um, the construction defects and open up a market which will include affordable housing. And when we just talked about the VA, you know, government getting involved, and in, in, in we need accountability. I have yet to see that. So uh, not feeling very good about a, an affordable housing project in downtown Denver that is $150 million. I will, uh, hopefully I got that right, Representative Wist, Right problem, wrong solution. Eric, wrap it up for us. Don't have a lot to add. Largely identified with identify with Penn's comments. I think the devil is in the implementation. I have a degree of dubiousness that this is going to live up to all of its promise. But I'm hopeful. Two words. Let's see. Let's see, indeed. Well, let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, I'm returning to the problem of homelessness, lack of affordable housing. Denver has undertaken this whole policy on sweeps, but it is not following its own policy. As we detailed this week, they're not talking to city council people. They're not talking to the service providers so that they can go out and help their clients before they're swept off the streets. And the result is just aggravating our homelessness problem. Amy. Last time I was here, I said until November, it would be XL Energy and the PUC. I'm adding one more to it, the Office of Consumer Council, which has completely given up its role as a watchdog on electricity rates, and they've essentially rolled over and uh, agreed with XL and uh, said yes to a massive $1 billion wind farm out on the eastern plains. Eric. 
Denver has another high-level official on leave under investigation, long-term leave, very little disclosure of the nature of the investigation. A gentleman named Walter Green, who's a deputy director, I believe, of the Denver Crime Lab, has been on suspension and investigation since June. We're now approaching the end of September. We'll see how this plays out, but this seems to have become a pattern in this administration. Let's hope there's not another big settlement, a la the city attorney, Stuart Shapiro, that is accompanied by an apology letter. If there is wrongdoing here, what's taking the delay? Why is he still on the city payroll? Penn. Um, I know this is a very troubling election year cycle, but um, I was really disturbed to see some of the negative ads that the Kaufman campaign is running in that congressional race. Um, for an incumbent to go there now, it, it, I think Mike Kaufman's better than that. I, I think the ads are a disgrace. Let's get to see something nice about somebody. Patty? Well, when you want to talk about someone who is trying to make a difference on this community policing issue, Alex Landau, who was beaten badly by Denver cops, wound up getting an $800,000 settlement from the city, just won an Emmy yesterday for an animated cartoon he did about his situation. So he's a great guy working in Denver, Alex Landau. Fantastic. Amy. I beat up government a lot, but so let me say something nice about the, a Weld County councilman, and this is um, the Weld County Council, young man named Jordan Gemiola, who stuck to his guns and uh, managed to get past a request for an audit of the Weld County Commissioner's expenses, as well as a performance audit of the Clerk and Recorder's Office. So good job. Eric. I see we have a little time, so I'm going to do a really quick twofer. Denver's losing another institution this week, a neighborhood bar, the Campus Lounge down on Exposition and University, a great hockey hangout. I would go there and watch hockey back in the 80s when the NHL didn't have a TV contract. Uh, and secondly, I've been remiss in not saying this. This is a month old, but John Walsh has stepped aside as the U.S. Attorney for Colorado, and he served in that position for most of the Obama administration. John is a first-rate uh, public official civil servant, and we thank him for his service. Penn. Uh, two for also, the, the Tulsa DA for bringing charges in that case. Um, it lends credibility to the process to at least start by responding to the situation rather than always saying that police involve shootings, you exonerate the officer. And secondly, I, I can't say how impressed I am with these kids at Aurora Central and more so with the administrators and parents there who have said, you know, they're being constructive, they're not doing anything that's disruptive. We ought to let them have their say. It's, it's encouraging to see young people care enough about something to say or do something. So thank you. That is all the time we had tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to stick around tonight for two big debates. As Eric alluded to earlier, at 9 p.m., Colorado Decides looks at the medical aid and dying ballot issue. It's a very good debate. And at 9.30, our 2016 Both Sides of the Story tournament rolls on with St. Mary's High School. That's a private uh, Catholic high school in Colorado Springs debating if Colorado schools should allow vouchers. It's a great debate. You don't want to miss it. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.